Chapters 6 through 10 of Theologia Germanica. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J. A. Carter. Theologia Germanica by an anonymous author. Translated by Susanna Winkworth. Chapters 6 through 10. Chapter 6. How that which is best and noblest should also be loved above all things by us, merely because it is the best. A master called Botius saith, It is of sin that we do not love that which is best. He hath spoken the truth. That which is best should be the dearest of all things to us, and in our love of it neither helpfulness nor unhelpfulness, advantage nor injury, gain nor loss, honor nor dishonor, praise nor blame, nor anything of the kind should be regarded. But what is in truth the noblest and best of all things should also be the dearest of all things, and that for no other cause than that it is the noblest and best. Hereby may a man order his life within and without, his outward life, for among the creatures one is better than another, according as the eternal good manifesteth itself, and worketh more in one than in another. Now that creature, in which the eternal good most manifesteth itself, shineth forth, worketh, and is most known and loved, is the best, and that wherein the eternal good is least manifested, is the least good of all creatures. Therefore, when we have to do with the creatures, and hold converse with them, and take note of their diverse qualities, the best creatures must always be the dearest to us, and we must cleave to them and unite ourselves to them, above all to those which we attribute to God as belonging to Him or divine, such as wisdom, truth, kindness, peace, love, justice, and the like. Hereby shall we order our outward man, and all that is contrary to these virtues we must eschew and flee from. But if our inward man were to make a leap and spring into the perfect, we should find and taste how that the perfect is without measure, number, or end, better and nobler than all which is imperfect and in part, and the eternal above the temporal or perishable, and the fountain and source above all that floweth or ever can flow from it. Thus that which is imperfect and in part would become tasteless and be as nothing to us, be assured of this, all that we have said must come to pass if we are to love that which is noblest, highest, and best. Chapter 7 Of the eyes of the Spirit wherewith man looketh into eternity and into time, and how the one is hindered of the other in its working. Let us remember how it is written and said that the soul of Christ had two eyes, a right and a left eye. In the beginning, when the soul of Christ was created, she fixed her right eye upon eternity and the Godhead, and remained in the full intuition and enjoyment of the divine essence and eternal perfection, and continued thus unmoved and undisturbed by all the accidents and travails, suffering, torment, and pain that ever befell the outward man. But with the left eye she beheld the creature and perceived all things therein, and took note of the difference between the creatures, which were better or worse, nobler or meaner, and thereafter was the outward man of Christ ordered. 
Thus, the inner man of Christ, according to the right eye of his soul, stood in the full exercise of his divine nature, in perfect blessedness, joy, and eternal peace. But the outward man and the left eye of Christ's soul stood with him in perfect suffering, in all tribulation, affliction, and travail, and this in such sort that the inward and right eye remained unmoved, unhindered, and untouched by all the travail, suffering, grief, and anguish that ever befell the outward man. It hath been said that when Christ was bound to the pillar and scourged, and when he hung upon the cross according to the outward man, yet his inner man, or soul, according to the right eye, stood in full possession of divine joy and blessedness as it did after his ascension, or as it doth now. In like manner, his outward man or soul with the left eye was never hindered, disturbed, or troubled by the inward eye in its contemplation of the outward things that belong to it. Now, the created soul of man hath also two eyes. The one is the power of seeing into eternity, the other of seeing into time and the creatures, of perceiving how they differ from each other as aforesaid, of giving life and needful things to the body, and ordering and governing it for the best. But these two eyes of the soul of man cannot both perform their work at once. But if the soul shall see with the right eye into eternity, then the left eye must close itself and refrain from working and be as though it were dead. For if the left eye be fulfilling its office toward outward things, that is, holding converse with time and the creatures, then must the right eye be hindered in its working, that is, in its contemplation. Therefore, whosoever will have the one must let the other go, for no man can serve two masters. Chapter 8 How the soul of man, while it is yet in the body, may obtain a foretaste of eternal blessedness. It hath been asked whether it be possible for the soul, while it is yet in the body, to reach so high as to cast a glance into eternity and receive a foretaste of eternal life and eternal blessedness. This is commonly denied, and truly so, in a sense. For it indeed cannot be so long as the soul is taking heed to the body and the things which minister and appertain thereto, and to time and the creature, and is disturbed and troubled and distracted thereby. For if the soul shall rise to such a state, she must be quite pure, wholly stripped and bare of all images, and entirely separate from all creatures, and above all, from herself. Now many think this is not to be done, and is impossible in this present time. But St. Dionysus maintains that it is possible, as we find from his words in his epistle to Timothy, where he saith, For the beholding of the hidden things of God, shalt thou forsake sense and the things of the flesh, and all that the senses can apprehend, and all that reason of her own powers can bring forth, and all things created and uncreated that reason is able to comprehend and know, and shalt take thy stand upon an utter abandonment of thyself, and as knowing none of the aforesaid things, and enter into union with him who is, and who is above all existence and all knowledge. Now if he did not hold this to be possible in this present time, why should he teach it and enjoin it on us in this present time? But it behooveth you to know that a master has said on this passage of St. Dionysus that it is possible and may happen to a man often 
till he becomes so accustomed to it as to be able to look into eternity whenever he will. For when a thing is at first very hard to a man and strange and seemingly quite impossible, if he put all his strength and energy into it and persevere therein, that will afterward grow quite light and easy, which he at first thought quite out of reach, seeing that it is of no use to begin any work unless it may be brought to a good end. And a single one of these excellent glances is better, worthier, higher, and more pleasing to God than all that the creature can perform as a creature. And as soon as a man turneth himself in spirit, and with his whole heart and mind entereth into the mind of God, which is above time, all that ever he hath lost is restored in a moment. And if a man were to do thus a thousand times in a day, each time a fresh and real union would take place. And in this sweet and divine work standeth the truest and fullest union that may be in this present time. For he who hath attained thereto asketh nothing further, for he hath found the kingdom of heaven and eternal life on earth. Chapter 9 How it is better and more profitable for a man that he should perceive what God will do with him, or to what end he will make use of him, than if he knew all that God had ever wrought or would ever work through all the creatures, and how blessedness lieth alone in God, and not in the creatures or in any works. We should mark and know of a very truth, that all manner of virtue and goodness, and even that eternal good which is God himself, can never make a man virtuous, good, or happy, so long as it is outside the soul, that is, so long as the man is holding converse with outward things through his senses and reason, and does not withdraw into himself, and learn to understand his own life, who and what he is. The like is true of sin and evil, for all manner of sin and wickedness can never make us evil, so long as it is outside of us, that is, so long as we do not commit it, or do not give consent to it. Therefore, although it be good and profitable that we should ask and learn and know what good and holy men have wrought and suffered, and how God hath dealt with them and what he hath wrought in and through them, yet it were a thousand times better that we should in ourselves learn and perceive and understand who we are, how and what our own life is, what God is and is doing in us, what he will have from us, and to what ends he will or will not make use of us. For of a truth, thoroughly to know oneself is above all art, for it is the highest art. If thou knowest thyself well, thou art better and more praiseworthy before God than if thou didst not know thyself, but didst understand the course of the heavens and all the planets and stars, also the dispositions of all mankind, also the nature of all beasts, and in such matters hadst all the skill of all who are in heaven and on earth. For it is said there came a voice from heaven, saying, Man, know thyself. Thus that proverb is still true. Going out were never so good, but staying at home were much better. Further, ye should learn that eternal blessedness lieth in one thing alone, and in naught else. And if ever man or the soul is to be made blessed, that one thing alone must be in the soul. Now some might ask, but what is that one thing? I answer, it is goodness, or that which hath been made good, and yet neither this good or that, 
which we can name or perceive or show, but it is all and above all good things. Moreover, it needeth not to enter into this soul, for it is there already, only it is unperceived. When we say we should come unto it, we mean that we should seek it, feel it, and taste it. And now, since it is one, unity and singleness is better than manifoldness. For blessedness lieth not in much and many, but in one and oneness. In one word, blessedness lieth not in any creature or work of the creatures, but it lieth alone in God and in his works. Therefore I must wait only on God and his work, and leave on one side all creatures with their works, and first of all myself. In like manner all the great works and wonders that God has ever wrought or shall ever work in or through the creatures, or even God himself with all his goodness, so far as these things exist and are done outside of me, can never make me blessed, but only in so far as they exist and are done and loved, known, tasted, and felt within me. Chapter 10 How the perfect men have no other desire than that they may be to the eternal goodness what his hand is to a man, and how they have lost the fear of hell and hope of heaven. Now let us mark. Where men are enlightened with the true light, they perceive that all which they might desire or choose is nothing to that which all creatures, as creatures, ever desired or chose or knew. Therefore they renounce all desire and choice and commit and commend themselves and all things to the eternal goodness. Nevertheless, there remaineth in them a desire to go forward and get nearer to the eternal goodness, that is, to come to a clearer knowledge and warmer love and more comfortable assurance and perfect obedience and subjection, so that every enlightened man could say, I would fain be to the eternal goodness what his own hand is to a man. And he feareth always that he is not enough so, and longeth for the salvation of all men. And such men do not call this longing their own, nor take it unto themselves, for they know well that this desire is not of man, but of the eternal goodness. For whatsoever is good shall no one take unto himself as his own, seeing that it belongeth to the eternal goodness only. Moreover, these men are in a state of freedom, because they have lost the fear of pain or hell, and the hope of reward or heaven, but are living in pure submission to the eternal goodness, in the perfect freedom of fervent love. This mind was in Christ in perfection, and is also in his followers, in some more and in some less, but it is a sorrow and shame to think that the eternal goodness is ever most graciously guiding and drawing us, and we will not yield to it. What is better and nobler than true poorness in spirit, Yet when that is held up before us, we will have none of it, but are always seeking ourselves and our own things. We like to have our mouths always filled with good things, that we may have in ourselves a lively taste of pleasure and sweetness. When this is so, we are well pleased, and think it standeth not amiss with us. But we are yet a long way off from a perfect life, for when God will draw us up to something higher, that is, to an utter loss and forsaking of our own things, spiritual and natural, and withdraweth his comfort and sweetness from us. We faint and are troubled and can in no wise bring our minds to it, and we forget God and neglect holy exercises and fancy that we are lost forever. 
This is a great error and a bad sign. For a true lover of God loveth him or the eternal goodness alike in having and in not having, in sweetness and in bitterness, in good or evil report and the like. For he seeketh alone the honor of God and not his own, either in spiritual or natural things. And therefore he standeth alike unshaken in all things at all seasons. Hereby let every man prove himself how he standeth toward God, his Creator and Lord. End of chapter 6 through 10 Recording by J.A. Carter, www.afewparagraphs.com